0: Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Voices. This is Cynthia Chaplin, and today I have the great pleasure of having Susie Berry and Peter Richards with me, who are both British and both masters of wine. And they studied together for the MW program. And they also happen to be married to each other. They're TV and radio presenters and event hosts, writers, columnists, authors, consultants, all of those good things. And they have a great wine podcast called Wine Blast. So welcome to the show, Susie and Peter. Thank you so much for coming
1: today. Thank you for
0: having
2: us. Thank you for having us. It's very exciting to be here.
0: Great. Well, I am extremely curious about your relationship as two masters of wine in the same household. My husband is a non-drinker, so I'm wondering what your house is like. Is it filled with wine? Is it wine all the time? Do you argue about what you're drinking or do you generally agree? How does it work?
1: I, th- I think there's there's a big yes and a big no to that, those questions, actually, Cynthia. Which, which order is the same? <laughs> so, so, yes, the house is filled with wine. Um, yeah, I mean, t- to be really honest, you know, our life is very much about wine. Um, but the great thing about wine is it is a social as well as a, a working thing for us. So, um, yes, we have a lot of wine everywhere. I think our, our children despair of us. And there's a lot of wine talk as well. But, you know, we're both interested in it. So that's...
2: That's fine. As for whether we disagree, we, we disagree about everything. So it would be strange if we then dis- didn't disagree about wine. But no, it's, it's a really good question. And absolutely, you know, I think, um, you know, for example, when we were, when we often match wine and food together, as we did on Saturday Kitchen for, for a long time, the process worked quite well. We, we'd line up a whole bunch of wines, we'd cook the dish, and then we'd argue, basically. And the wine which we could agree on most was the one which probably stood the best chance of appealing to as many pe- different people out there as possible. Okay. So in a way, the arguing process does work. It's quite consistent destructive or, or, or discussion
0: I love it discussion that's that's the diplomatic diplomatic way
2: yes discussion discussion <laughs> sorry can I can I can I replace the word argument with discussion in all everything I just said
1: heated discussion
2: <laughs> heated discussion yeah no it's all, it, it's all fun and it's all good but um, no absolutely we certainly wouldn't want any of your listeners to think that we um that we agree on wine, no, absolutely not. No. I don't think it, no two people should. But frankly, Cynthia, what we are also interested to learn is, is, is you know, if your husband is is uh, a proud Brit but also a non-drinker, how does it work in your household? How how, how do you get through the bottles?
0: Uh, well, uh, getting through the bottles is not the problem. The problem is that uh, there's no one to hide behind. I am shamed all the time by my children who <laughs> who see the amount of wine that is in the house and consumed in the house, and I can't hide because they know.
2: Ah. You, know
1: you can't blame anybody else. Yes. <laughs> That's right. See, so
0: basically, I indoctrinated all of my children. So they, they come home specifically because they know they can drink wine for free at mum's house.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> great angle. You just need to find the way through it. Don't you? <laughs> but you're absolutely right. You know, I always blame Sue If the kids say anything, I just blame Susie. And I think vice versa. <laughs> it does work quite well.
0: <laughs> well, I have managed to drag my husband into vineyards. He's he's a photographer. So he, he comes with me and has kind of managed to... Um, Soak up quite a lot of wine knowledge, even though he's still, um, you know, one of those people who I say, "Oh, just smell this fantastic Brunello," and he will say, "Oh, smells like wine." <laughs> <laughs> but it's a little sad for me when I have a good bottle around, so I do envy your your household with the with the daily ability to talk about wine in a more meaningful way than than I get to do. Uh, that's why I love my job I love coming to the office
2: <laughs> um
0: so now, I understand that it was Susie's decision first to go for the master of wine and Peter got pressured into it. Is that true?
1: It's so not true. Is, I, I think Peter told you that, Cynthia. This definitely, is that absolutely
2: true. <laughs> this 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 podcast is is my cry for help. Anyone out there? Um, Susie pressurizes me. No, I, it's, it, it was it was your. It was call. me
1: though. The truth is, it was me who wanted to do it first. Mm. Definitely, Peter tried desperately to put me off. He knew. I think he knew from everything he'd heard how tough it was going to be uh, on everybody including you know the whole of our household uh, so he tried to put me off I wasn't going to be put off and to be honest Cynthia he spent so much time listening to me talking about it helping me out with tastings setting things up for me that by the time I I'd been doing it for a year he he just thought you know what? I might as well do it myself as well and and just go in hell for leather and we'll we'll all have a go at it yeah if
0: you can't beat them, join them. yeah yeah
1: it
2: was a bit like that but of course as soon as I made that decision I realised the pressure was now on because Susie then proceeded to cover herself in glory in all the exams and and various other things and I thought oh no I've got to try to live up to this somehow so um, but but it did actually from my perspective it was enormously helpful I knew that the experience Susie had gained doing it then helped me hugely in terms of preparation what to expect because I think a lot about the MW is you are thrown in the deep end and expected to swim and a lot of people find that very very challenging and of course you learn a lot from that too but I was i'm very lucky to to, i was i was so
1: ridiculously naive i just sort of thought oh i i really want to have a go at this and i i in my usual way i didn't really research it properly and i i just sort of dived in and it was so difficult and so painful and i don't think i've ever had as hard a year as in my life as as that first year of mw but it was great in the sense that i could let you know what it was all about you Mm. could see what it was all about and if i'm in all honesty i wish it had been the other way around and Peter had started it first, and I I joined on on a bit later. But, but you uh, partly
2: did it because you felt you needed to. Yeah,
1: I think you know this is. The, I, I'm not going to stand on on my soapbox and and bang the drum for for um, females need help kind of thing. But um, I felt it was a way, or as as certainly as it was as a woman to be really honest in wine. It was a way of saying look. I've got this qualification. Let's forget the fact I actually do know what I'm talking about. And then you can decide if I'm the person you want for this, that or whatever job. But it was a way of sort of getting over that bit of having to prove myself to a great extent.
0: It's such a good point. Uh, it, having that, you know, really the pinnacle of um, wine certification does make everything else fade away. Uh, you have to be able to, you know, meet people standing on your merit. They can't deny you. So that's, that's a very interesting point about it. You obviously are great partners in crime because both of you passed all the parts of the exam on the first go, which is incredibly difficult to do and very rare. So something was going well for you. Did you study together? I know you were sort of, Susie was a bit ahead. and and Peter was a bit um, coming along behind, how did it work out I mean in terms of just the amount of time you put in together or were you better off in separate rooms
2: separate rooms <laughs> I think is the fairest answer no I was I was a good two years behind Susie so uh, while I did sort of benefit in a general sense from knowing what to expect I think we we have slightly different uh, ways of going about definitely studying different ways of going
1: about studying definitely yeah, and it's a very
2: personal thing I think you've got to adopt the system that works for you but we we ran a, a master of wine boot camp teaching helping students for for a decade here in Winchester so since okay. we were and after we passed exactly we well actually that's how it started after we passed some people who on my course said look can you just set up some tastings to help us because it's hard to, to do so we did do that and and a large part of that was was helping people get get well give them an insight into the way we went about it not saying this is the way you should but this is just the way we went about organizing and structuring our approach and we are quite we, we you know we, we as writers it's we're quite lucky to have that experience we can express ourselves well but we had other challenges so we we just yes we did actually come up with a very sort of clear methodology of how to tackle the challenge ahead of us, both in terms of the tasting and the the, the theory um, and work around those techniques, which are really, really important. Because obviously doing an exam, doing a blind tasting exam is not something that you do very regularly. So it's a very specific set of skills you've got to learn. But apart from all of that, I think at the same time, you know, part of the reason we did the MW uh, was also that, you know, you do it because you love wine and you want to find out more about it. I think sometimes we get a bit caught up in the fact that oh this suddenly confers a sense of uh, you know huge gravitas and authority on you yeah well maybe but actually the reason you do it the rationale is to actually learn more about wine enjoy while you're doing it and then crucially and the most important part of all this is to be able to help people better understand wine you know be they just wanting to have a recommendation or at the very top level talking to very top top people in the wine trade it's all about helping other people that the master of wine qualification.
1: I I have to say one thing as well Cynthia the, the one of my motivations for for passing first time and it was a strong one was I had just had a, a, a our first child um when I started studying and I thought you know what if I don't just get on and get this quickly <laughs> I'll never have time to do it again you know once you get into the world of children you suddenly realize that there is so little time for anything extra and so it was a, I'm very grateful to my daughter that she gave me the motivation to just Get on and get it past.
0: Excellent. I love that. I, I have six children. So the world of children is, is something I'm very familiar with. Oh, my
1: goodness. Oh, my goodness. We take our hats off to you. <laughs> I,
0: I do think that there's a lot to be said for doing something because you love it and dedicating, you know, such a hardcore course of study as the MW is. You you really do have to have that authentic passion and love for wine, which I know both of you do. I mean, you've Since then, you've become really popular in the UK wine scene, you know, presenting on TV, and you crashed the majestic wine website after you recommended a wine on BBC Saturday Kitchen Show. So
2: I'm not sure you've apologized for <laughs> that, that yet, you? Uh, you should. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a life goal, actually.
2: To um, be on commission, surely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're featured a lot. You're you're talking and speaking and writing a lot. Um, what what do you want to give your audience as a takeaway? You have so much to share. What are the things that you are thinking of specifically when you're
1: out there? So do you know, Cynthia? It's exactly what you just said. That we feel about wine. That we love wine. I mean, the only thing we can ever hope or want to do is enthuse people about wine. So they don't feel it's scary. They don't feel it's something they don't really understand. And oh, I know what I like. And I just buy that bottle. It's trying to trying to encourage people to just have a go, take a risk, experiment, just see. The, the world of wine is so magical and I think unless you unless you take a few risks along the way in terms of what you're buying, what you're drinking, that world will never really go into full HD colour for you. You've got to, you've got to, you know, be prepared to, to jump in a bit and all our job is, really, is encouraging people to do that.
2: Mm. I think it was a um, uh, wonderful Italian winemaker, Alberto Antonini, who once said... Um, um, to me, you know, in wine, less is more. But to do less, you have to know more. And I think that's kind of our philosophy of mm. it, isn't it? That actually, you know, we've tried to learn and, and get our qualifications and credentials, and really find out and get to the bottom of, of what is wine, enable to be able to do things to to. more simply to help people, whatever level they're at. And I think absolutely, that's it's about. But mm. I mean, if you boil it down, as Susie says, it, it's all about emotion. Wine is about emotion. It's about enthusiasm how can we help encourage people uh enthuse them and, and, and help them along the way
0: that's so true I, as an educator myself i love just trying to make that connection for people to tear down the you know the the snobbiness and and the all those walls that keep people out and sort of make that connection and, and let people in and and discover as you said the joy of it the magic of it so um i i completely agree with that And you started your podcast sort of in that frame of mind. Uh, Wine Blast started in 2020, which was, of course, in the middle of lockdowns. What inspired you to start the show? Who's the audience and, and what are you talking about typically?
2: Well, many things inspired us to start the show. Um, you know, I mean, great, you know, really, we know that there are, first of all, there were other really good wine podcasts out there like you guys. And so, you know, I think we also loved radio a lot, didn't we? And we felt that radio and podcasting is such a good medium for wine.
0: Absolutely. And you can do it in your pajamas while you're drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Not <laughs> that I'm doing either of those things who, today. Who wouldn't,
1: who wouldn't love that? <laughs> well, but we don't know, you see, and nobody knows. That's the mystery of it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, there we go. Um, no, I mean, to be honest with the podcast, although... So it, it was launched at the start of lockdown. We had been planning it for quite a while, so it was sort of just um, fortuitous that that it we were able to launch it at the beginning of the lockdown because it, because people weren't doing very much. Mm. We had more time to put to it and to getting it off the ground, and you know. Well, promoting it, you know, we already had some episodes ready to go, and so yeah, I mean, it was sort of lucky timing, um, and we have genuinely loved every every minute of we it. Have. We have, but I think
2: it's different temper- you know, we've done radio. Uh, you, you know, we both presented on Radio Four, uh, which is the, sort of a, a wonderful British channel here, which does high quality audio uh, spoken word, and, and you have done the food program, and we mm. both we both done stuff on there and other and other radio stations, and we felt that having done, been lucky enough to do lots of media from from TV to to, to radio and, and other things, we we felt that radio or the spoken word podcast was just a wonderful way to connect with wine as you know it's, it's a very intimate medium you, you you feel very close to the people doing it we feel close to our audience when we're doing it and vice versa our audience sort of feel like they're with us so that is wonderful and you, obviously you're you're using um when you're listening you're really using your imagination and that's exactly what wine needs that engagement tv is a wonderful medium but you don't engage in the same way you don't buy in as a listener or a watcher you're not sort of there in the moment in the same way that you are with with a podcast or radio so we we wanted to I do think, this for a long time, yeah, and it had been a I, long time coming, had not it?
1: Picking up on that, you know, there's there's almost more honesty in the in just a spoken word. You know, we've worked in TV. There's a lot of stuff has to go on to make it happen that isn't mm. necessarily true. If you know, you know, it, it's sort of creating a theatre. Um, whereas with the spoken word, with podcast, with radio, you don't need all of that. You just need to be listening to this it's like reading a book mm. you know you create the images yourself and so nobody has to manufacture that that visual and we love the honesty of that we, we do
2: and also just finally to pick up on your point about the audience you know we we knew uh there were podcasts out there which doing a really good job we felt that we could sort of hopefully add something a bit new and different um for for an, for an audience we felt there was a slight gap in the market so it's both masters of wine and you know li- living in the same household we felt that there was a you know, we could quite easily have a conversation, which was very natural to us. It's what we do all the time about any given topic. And hopefully that would be something that was sort of very informative for people with our very specific angle and that, that would help. So hopefully sort of fill a gap in the market, which, you know, and we equally, we feel that, that there's room for more. There's room for more voices in in, in podcasts and wine podcasts, particularly out there. Um, and, and the more the merrier. We, we think podcasting is a really collaborative, fun, constructive medium that I think it's got a lot more to give, mm. you yeah. Definitely.
0: Well, one of the things I really enjoy about your podcast is how welcoming it is. So, you know, going back to the idea of tearing down the walls that keep people out of wine, I think the two of you together have have a very welcoming um, approach, which I think is great, particularly for for new wine drinkers or or people, you know, younger wine drinkers, uh, people who might not be, you know, that confident asking questions in a in a face to face class can can sit and concentrate and and listen and tune in and tune out as they like to to your podcast which is useful thank you yeah no,
2: thank you it's it's, thank you. it's, it's, it's it, certainly we, we love to be welcoming and for us it's like having someone sitting at the table with us you know come on, come and sit down have a bottle of wine with us at the table have have dinner with us um suffer
1: and, our terrible jokes
2: yeah there is there's, a, there's always a quid pro quo, isn't there really
0: <laughs> well you both you both are you know an incredible team you are very welcoming you've you've done a lot of other things not just in media. I remember back in the day in 2014 when you launched wine festival Winchester um, in the the south part of England where you both live. And that went for, I think, six or seven editions?
1: Mm, Yeah, seven years. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Seven years and and raised over sixteen thousand pounds for charity, which, you know, there's nothing more welcoming than that. But my what I want to talk to you about today is your more recent project, the Big English Wine Adventure. First of (laughs) all, I love the name. It's it's you know one of those great things that only comes out of England, the Big English Wine Adventure. And you started it in 2016. So tell us about the project because I love the idea and I'm sure our listeners would like to hear about it.
1: Okay, well we we'd been we'd been sort of tossing up for a while, trying to thinking about you know doing a TV thing about making wine um, in England and we you know we we love the English wine scene. We've we've written a book together about it. It's grown so much. It's really grown. Yeah, it yes. has. It's, it's extraordinary, Cynthia. Really You're absolutely right. Um so it's it's such a such a vibrant interest, industry right now. And I think that
2: was the thing. We were just really mm. excited about it. We were about really it. And we excited wanted to find an outlet for that. Enthusiasm. Yeah,
1: a way that we could kind of get involved and promote it or whatever. And so we decided decided, look, the TV thing wasn't, wasn't happening. Why don't we just make some wine with if, if, if a winery will have us, make some wine and, and sell it all for charity. And, and at, the, in the, at the same time, promoting the, the whole idea of drinking English wine and being local. And so that started in 2016 because we, we went to Hattingley Valley, who are local to us. Uh, they make sparkling wines just down the road from us. And they were very kind and said, yep, absolutely, we, we'll do this with you. And so we we picked a few grapes. Um, I can't say that we joined in the whole harvest. No, that's, that's probably
2: a fair way of saying it. We, literally, we were rubbish. We were rubbish. Absolutely we rubbish. rubbish.
1: I think they thought, "What have they? What if have any, we let
2: ourselves in for?" If any for? winemakers are listening, don't ever hire us as harvesters because <laughs> we're rubbish.
1: So then, so then, so we made from 2016. We essentially made a, a blanc de blancs a Chardonnay, a sparkling Chardonnay. Uh, we helped with the um, with the blending, or well, we did the blending actually. We chose the blend, if you like, and we helped with the dosage and all that kind of thing. And then, and and we were well. You particularly Peter, said, um, "That's it. We're just doing it once. That's it." And then the next year, I said, "Oh, go on, let's have another go." So we had another go um, with Hattingley again. They, I can I can't believe they had us back, and we made a 2017, which was a blend of Chardonnay Pinot Meunier.
2: We were quite excited about the potential of Meunier at that point. It was just becoming clear that this grape, which obviously for a long time has been slightly disregarded in, in Champagne as a supposedly sort of second rate variety, actually in, in England just is absolutely wonderful. It makes sort of wines of real, particularly sparkly wines, but have real perfume but also a lovely acidity, don't mm. they? Anyway, that was why we, we did the.
0: That down to Peter, the, the terroir in England, what's it, what's it giving to uh, Meunier that it's not getting in France or other places?
1: A really good question.
2: It's really a really good, good question. question. I think we're still working on that one. It does seem to be in certain parts of, of the country, maybe particularly on chalk, it, it, the, the wines do retain this acidity. And I think the climate and here
1: substance about is them just a bit fresher. Yeah.
2: So, the, so I oh, think in Champagne sometimes, the Meunier does have lovely succulents. And fruitiness. And, and fruitiness. But you don't get the same acidity as you get here because it's a slightly cooler climate. And you get a much more kind of floral perfume here. And I don't mm. know why that is.
1: I think there's just just it's quite almost difficult to to pinpoint exactly what it is but there's just something more about it here that um adds more to a blend gives it more sort of substance i would say it's
0: so interesting i love it when grapes express themselves in different places
1: different ways yeah Yeah. absolutely you know soil
0: and and location and aspect and things like that are so crucial and this is a this is an ideal conversation about how a grape that is um, you know sort of muddling along in other places is really exalted itself in in England, which just saying a grape is exalting itself in England, I think right there is, is something important.
2: Yeah, absolutely. When
0: would you ever imagine and saying
2: Mernier that? particularly, which you know, especially when they're grapes, which maybe haven't sort of had their moment in the in the in the spotlight, and then they suddenly come good somewhere else. And you think, great, this is fantastic, because all of these grapes have great potential, don't they? And equally, I think we're sometimes we're a bit too quick in the wine commentary division to ascribe certain characters to grapes to very specific things like soil, like what this winemaker is doing. I think sometimes, and this is where we are in England at the moment. We need we need time. You need time, uh, experience, people putting heads together to say well, what. What really is going on here? But at the moment, we don't know. All we can say is Mm. it's a Meunier in English sparkling wine is a really, really, really exciting thing.
1: Mm.
0: Of course. And I mean, thank you, climate change. One of the rare times that gets said, too.
1: Yeah. So so (laughs) interestingly enough, and one grape that that doesn't always work, but when climate change is on our side does is obviously Pinot Noir for the Mm. red wines. And so to finish off our little uh, English wine adventure, we we absolutely said no more after our two sparkling wines. And then 2018 came along and it was this glorious year in England. You know, one of the, best we've had so much sunshine just beautiful and we sort of thought we cannot let this one go by without attempting to make a red wine and so we went off to the to some guys in Essex which is one of the the driest most consistent warm climates in the UK and they very kindly said okay we will do some red wine with you and that was Danbury Ridge. Obviously they
0: hadn't talked
1: to your previous producers (laughs) No no, no,
2: no, 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 no. We made sure that we they made, didn't.
1: No. Uh, we got in there first. <laughs> so, so it was. So that was brilliant, and they were very collaborative. So that was Danbury Ridge, uh, Liam Jachkowski mm. as the winemaker there, and we made just a small amount with them. But again, they let us have some of their best wines in the barrels, and we blended all of that and came up with our own blend. Mm. Um, so, so by that point, we had three wines, and that was really our big English wine adventure. And we launched them in November last year. The red, well. We we sold the two sparkling and the, the red as a three pack and they've all gone but we have still got some of the sparkling so if anybody wants to wants to buy for cha- all for charity sparkling wines then you, they can get them at the Hattingley Valley website hattinglyvalley.com. My
0: father in law's 90th birthday is coming up so I might be jumping on that website uh, <laughs> later on today. Fabulous uh, you,
1: <laughs> well we appreciate you've that. you left
0: out um, uh, one of the things that I thought was so fun and again engaging and inclusive about the Big English Wine Adventure. It could have just been all about you and your three wines, but you held competitions to name the wine and choose the charity that the proceeds would go to. So tell us how that turned out.
2: Well, we, we definitely have you put your finger on it, Cynthia. We wanted to find a way to make this not just about us, to make it as inclusive and fun, uh, most importantly, as possible. So so when we were starting off, we obviously were starting to make the wine. We knew we were going to have a bit of time before we released them. So we thought, how to get people involved right from the start? And we said, we know what we'll do. We'll run a competition to to find a name um, and a charity to support because we had ideas about that. But actually, we wanted to, to find out what other people cared about and, and, and wanted to, to help. So the name... A competition was a bit of fun really and we did get some properly and uh properly silly names which i'm glad because we encouraged that we said to people look just send us in anything make us laugh if you need to and they did so we got you know we ended up with the name uh hope and glory for the sparkling wines which was absolutely lovely but we did get some funny suggestions along the way and i've actually just got a few for you here so some suggestions at alfred the grape we, we live in, uh, in alfred the great territory here in winchester so that was quite a fun one uh, double bubble Um, Fizz McBoaty Fizz uh, that's a long story Bubblicious um, Premier Sue was quite a good one instead of Premier Crew for Susie Uh, another one on Susie's name was Sue's Bois which I thought was quite nice. That's a lot of thought gone into there. Uh, a more topical one was Covin20, oh, <laughs> which is quite nice sort of reset there. Another one was Boozy and Peter's Finest Viz uh, and then the, the last one was a more serious one but we thought quite a nice one was Master Wind which, um, which was close to any, but we didn't end up. We ended up with Hope and Glory which was, which was, we felt captured the kind of spirit of the project really, really well.
0: Well, I think Hope and Glory is genius and undoubtedly will be served at every prize day at every school across the country <laughs> when they always play hope and glory um, so the the charity where the money's going to how how did that get chosen and which one is it
1: okay so um that was chosen um, by again by public vote um, we we got a lot a lot of votes for such a massive range of charities but we wanted something that was was sort of topical and would be was genuinely doing a great job right now and we we went for the marine conservation society because you know as I'm sure many people listening will know, you know, our oceans need looking after. They're over 70% of the planet is our ocean. They provide over half of our oxygen. And at the moment, they're they're not necessarily being allowed to be as clean as they could be. You know, lots of plastic gets dumped in the ocean. You know, the beaches end up again really, really polluted. And so the Marine Conservation Society do an amazing job looking after our seagrass beds and helping clean beaches. And we just felt that for us was right now. Now, a fabulous, fabulous mm, charity mm. to be supporting. And also,
2: I think they, they make the point that blue carbon is so important. So they're not just protecting our seas and oceans. They're also uh, helping in the fight against climate change. Um, we, we, sort of, we don't really have a clear idea about how much uh, the, the oceans help um, but, sequester you know, the carbon sequester dioxide the carbon and, and help generate oxygen but you know i think it's something like uh, they think that seagrass might be 35 times more effective in sequestering carbon than than tropical rainforests so it's things like that that make you think wow you know this is something we need to focus our attention on and hopefully this this sort of project the biggest final adventure will, will help in a little way um you know give them the funds and the awareness to help doing what what is what is a great job mm.
0: So important. I, I did not know that about Seagrass. And it, this is really a timely, um, timely charity to, to gift the money to. So um, I'm excited about that. And I'm also very excited about your super cool label, um, which I which I stalked on, on the Internet before. But uh, you found a street artist um, and, and there's a fun backstory to this. How did you find this person? How did you choose their artwork for your label? Well, oh, finding we, this person but, was pretty difficult.
2: It
1: was, it was. He, um, he she. He, she. He, she. We still can't can't reveal anything. Um, we did not want to be found. But no, we, we, we'd always wanted to try and make, again, the, the labels um, something local. We thought about going to maybe the university and asking students. But anyway, we were on a walk one day in Winchester and saw this incredible um, graffiti, for want of a, a better way of describing it, a quite Banksy style, um, and thought, "Oh my goodness, that's amazing!" And it was of a of a a little boy um, holding a balloon, and the little boy was sort of black and a kite. Sorry, kite, um, and um, in black and white, but with this lovely, colourful kite, and it was absolutely gorgeous on just a wall hidden almost in the back you know near, near, a, near a walk in Winchester and uh, and then we we managed to do a bit of digging and we found out it was a, a street artist called Hendog so we found this person on Instagram and we we um eventually it did take us a while didn't it but we direct messaged them and they to cut a long story short were incredible mm. and the fact that we were doing it for charity they said absolutely we want to be involved um they did a couple of different mock-ups of labels for us and we they ultimately we settled on one for the for the blend of our wine the chardonnay merlot and one for the blanc de blanc and one is a as a woman um who is blowing butterflies um the hattingley valley one of their symbols is a butterfly and one of them is is a guy a really cool looking guy um, who's sort of kicking butterflies as if he's kicking a ball yeah
2: um, fun. And I mean, they're, they're just fun. we wanted they're to make really the bottles different. look different and striking and uh, you know to, to have an artist like hendog uh, the quality of the art on our label we're just so excited about and so grateful for and hopefully yeah they just they just stand out a bit and um you know hendog's point is that, that actually we need more public space for people to be able to express themselves um and and that's a major thing worldwide i think we could all, all get behind and support too
0: absolutely and of course with a, a bottle and a label you only have you know one chance to make a first impression and that label both of the labels are really eye-catching so again you know it's another way of being so inclusive because you know even even younger drinkers or people new to to sparkling wines see that label it's not intimidating it's not in some old world you know cursive font or in a foreign language um it's attractive and it's youthful uh and it's it's a very clean clear image so really great selection i, I think it's wonderful
2: thank, thank you. you you know thank and hopefully you. the idea was partly to make the bottle sort of collector's item so you know maybe it's the sort of chianti fiasco for the twenty twenty-second 22nd century <laughs> you know
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, I think a step up from that. <laughs>
1: so are you going to carry on making wine or have you had enough of it?
2: No. I think no, that I think that no. might I
1: think, do you know, this is where we are gonna have to, I'm afraid, um, break our rule and agree. And we are going to agree on the fact that we are not making any more If wine, anyone out no, there no. finds us doing it again, please
2: stop us. Uh, no, it's been great.
1: It was brilliant fun. But, you know, these kind of projects take up so much time. Um, and we've done it, you know, we've done yeah. it. And uh, it's time for the real, real winemakers to to take it. And over. as
2: I think Susie said earlier, you know, literally all of the profits uh, from this are going straight to the charity. So, so you know, we've given our time for free and it's been five years of tremendous fun. We, we need um, to make But some it money. has been, but <laughs> equally we have newfound, even more respect, let's put it that way, for those people who make and sell wine because it's hard hard work it is hard
0: work. well and you you've ticked that box now so it sounds like thoroughly th- uh, ticked that box well before i let you go i just have to ask my my famous final question if you were going to crack open a bottle of italian wine together uh what one would it be what's your favorite
2: well this is a tough question and that we feel there's pressure it's a to, good to question, we feel but it was pressure to difficult. give a good answer but we're just going to ramble instead is- if that's all right i mean you know I, I, as any good wine wine people, we, we drink a lot of Italian wine. We love Italian wine, but it's 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 so difficult to come down with with a few favorites. But you know, I I'm planning a trip to Sicily to film for a, a, a wine and travel series we've got going on called the wild side of wine we're filming it with a company a production company called wine masters um and that's really really exciting we're coming to to, to sicily very soon so i've been drinking a lot of sicilian wine in preparation i'm loving the caricantes from etna uh, sort of slightly surprising styles as well as the nerello's but some of the some of the caricantes are beautiful uh, we love italian whites uh, i've got a bottle of piero pan la rocca 2013 in front of me right here um which we have a lot of but getting through quite steadily we love piedmont we love tuscany sasakaya we visited not too long ago we also love the, the, the sort of more affordable style so with, with a lot of our wine and food matching for saturday kitchen the appassamento styles and particularly from the south just go so well with so many cuisines especially ones which have a bit of spice or sweetness so mm. to be honest but, you know we, but, we could pick so many but we
1: could pick so many but we did both go i know which wine it is so um back in about 2002 2000- we uh, we had a little girl who was one year old then And we were on a, on a rare occasion We She was going to go to grandparents And we were going away for the night Oh, so exciting <laughs> It was very exciting And then it snowed And it snowed And it snowed And it snowed And there was no way we were going anywhere We couldn't get the car out the drive There was no chance And so we decided We were still going to go out for the night And so we got our wellies on And we stomped through the snow To our local enatekaturi Which is Gorgeous Italian restaurant in Putney, where we lived at the time. And we sat there, there weren't many people in there, as you can imagine, just us and a few others. And we ordered a bottle of Barbaresco. And it was, I've got the bottle, one of the bottles here, um, 1995 Brick Ronchi Barbaresco. Rocket, um, Rocket Albino. And we loved it so much. And I think it was about, you know, we believe strongly that enjoying wine is about who you're with and where you are and your mood. And it was the fact it was just so special to be there on this snowy night that we, it was a very expensive meal because we went out and bought a whole case of this wine afterwards.
0: (laughs) Well, it's, that's the thing that wine does. It's the moment. Um, I always encourage my students to, when they take their tasting notes, to write down also where they were and who they were with and what they were doing when they tasted that wine, even if it's just a two- $2 Two dollar bottle of Plonk somewhere. It's the moment. It's that creating that moment. I look back at my own notes, and and the moment comes straight back to me if I've put that down. So I can picture you there in your in your lovely local Enoteca having your barbaresco which is a great choice. I love Barbaresca. Um and probably you could have imagined yourself being in Piemonte with that snow around you. <laughs>
2: It was yeah. We just it was the fact we were sitting there, there in our wellies, the snow <laughs> slightly melted and got soggy feet, but there it was all fun.
0: Oh, it's a lovely image to end on. I'm so grateful to both of you for coming on today and sharing your English wine adventure with us, and I hope that we will have a chance to meet up in the future. Thank, Thank you, you so much.
2: Thank you, Sophia.